talking so I can listen to the Stick to Wrestling podcast. I want to thank my friends at Culture Club for putting that song out and dedicating it to their favorite podcast, Stick to Wrestling. There are some good wrestling podcasts yeah, out there. I'm going to break in. Uh, I did that on purpose. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> you dick. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say the dirty joke that involves that song, by the way? I, Lou, I want, I, please, let's have that, that on the show. I want that. That was perfect. <laughs> oh, damn. My irony meter is broken today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, but what happened was even funnier, so that works. Yeah, let's leave it in. <laughs> All right, you, you can leave it in unedited because it's our first podcast of the decade. Stick to wrestling. Yeah, there are some good wrestling podcasts, but there's only are the other ones wicked good. No, they're not. We've give us sixty minutes, and we will perhaps indeed give you a raw bone wrestling podcast. Now, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I want. To bring it to everyone's attention, that Stick to Wrestling was voted Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Inspirational Podcast of the Year. Thank you, everyone, for voting. And now I want to bring on the most convivial Pro Wrestling Podcast co-host. If they had an award for that, Sean, you would have won it. We just won that because I broke my elbow earlier this year. So, That's I right, mean, if that, that. You know, yeah, if it wasn't for the injury, then we would never have won it. But thankfully for that, you know, just like Chief J, you know, just every year, the most inspirational guy. We have a million things to talk about here. So I'm going to do this very quickly. You should be signing in on our Facebook page. It's, you know, a whole thing with it just goes along with the show. All the guys are there talking about what we're talking about and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's all old school wrestling. Everyone gets along. It's awesome. Right, John? That is correct. I mean, you you find Facebook groups, newsletter, news groups, or user boards, whatever, where, where people like do nothing but fight. We're like waiting for the first dickhead move. We're waiting for the first fight. I've given up on waiting. I'm just like, wow, these guys are really cool. They're good eggs. So now that uh, so you should come by. You get to see all kinds of uh, results. You get to see our YouTube clips that uh, Lou and the guys put together. Um, the the first links come out there. You also, you know, John, you know, get to find out Backlund won 40 years ago, which, you know, cross our fingers, hopefully he did. Yeah, I mean, we who knows what's going to be up on the up on the Facebook group three weeks from now when this show is comes out. We are doing part two of 1989, taking a look at the Pro Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards from that year. And once again, coming back, he's still here. Mr. Jeff Bowdrin, the perfect guy to do this with. How are you, man? Okay, so I'm going to do my joke now since you uh, you referenced uh, you know Dexy's Midnight Runners uh, earlier. So, what is worse than Olivia Newton-John in Greece? I can't wait to hear this. Come on, Eileen. Hey, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. That joke Very is about good. 30, 35, 40 years old. Okay. Uh, most spectacular start to a show ever. And digging back in, we've got a ton of these to do, and we've only got 60 minutes to do them, but that's okay. I'd rather we say everything that we have to say then rush through it most obnoxious ooh number one the american dream dusty roads 
I cannot tell you how much the Observer readership hated Dusty, 87, 88, and now he's in the WWF, 89. Number two, Vince McMahon, he's pretty obnoxious. Number three, Calgary announcer Ed Whalen. Number four, Ultimate Warrior, I don't get that one. If you don't understand what the guy's saying, how can he be obnoxious? And number five was Hulk Hogan. Uh, Jeff, uh, what do you think of this list? You know... I looked at this list and, you know, mind you, Dusty was always obnoxious, but in 1989, you know, he had, he had left WCW eight, I think. Late 88. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know that he was as obnoxious as Vince, you know, Vince has his own little special category there. Uh, Ed Whalen is in my estimation, the worst television announcer of all time because no other television announcer purposely scraps angles because he doesn't like them. Okay. But, Ed Whalen at his worst was more 86, 87. I don't know that specifically in 89 he was horrible. but So I would say Vince. I, you know what? I mean, Ed Whalen, he wasn't that good to begin with. He wasn't, he's, wasn't that good anyway. But then he's out messing around with the, you know, oh, stop this. We're not showing this. So kind of hated that guy. Um, Sean, your, what are your thoughts on the most obnoxious award for 1989? You know how they have the Bruiser Brody Greatest Brawler Award? This should be the Ed Whalen oh. Most Obnoxious Award. Uh, I yeah, I have vented my spleen on Mr. Whalen on this podcast on more than one occasion. Uh, the reason he's here in 89 is I believe it was his little feud with Bruce Hart from what Jeff was talking about, him getting his nose into all this stuff that got them pulled off the air again. I yeah. say the only announcer in wrestling history, even Bill Mercer couldn't pull this one off. The only announcer in wrestling history to have his own show pulled off the network twice. It's happened twice. He should forever be winning this. But yes, this was the second time. This was, I believe, the last year at Calgary when it finally went under the final time. So for that, yeah, I give him the award. I'm with Jeff. I don't get the Dusty thing. Um, Vince should be, yeah, Vince, Vince's announcing got annoying this year real bad. Because uh, I've always defended him in the 70s and the early 80s. But this this got, you know... This this got ugly. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior may have been offending people who speak his language, there, <laughs> and uh, I could I, I have no problem scooting Hogan up a little higher here. Um, and again, what is the Eric Embry thing? Well, he what basically is- he, he basically took you know, like he created uh, he made himself dusty of the remnants of world class. Well, I, I, that, Eric Embry is my number one. I, I was going to say my problem is the fact that we, we just said the remnants. Now, you know, a choice that's kind of outside the box here that's in the uh, honorable mention is Gary Hart. Thank you. I agree. Gary Hart, first of all, was no longer the great Gary Hart that he had been years before. Okay, because of his injuries from the plane crash or whatever, it just looked ridiculous when your lead babyface would hit Gary Hart and Gary Hart would like to sort of lean against the ropes rather than sell it. Yeah, uh, uh, I got no problem putting Gary Hart in the top five this year either. Does it, it must be frustrating if your brother loved. The whole point is to be obnoxious, and you're like the twelfth guy on the list. You know, to losing out, losing out to poor Jim Duggan, who again the Jim Duggan hate continues. You barely got beaten up by a murderer. Eric Embry was unpushable as a babyface. Now that's going a little too far. He's my number one this year. I mean, that guy. Jeff called him the Dusty. 
of world class or the remnants of world class. I mean, he was way worse than Dusty ever was. He made himself the number one baby face by leaps and bounds. He went out of his way to bury Kerry Von Erich, who for whatever reason went along with this. Um, and he just wasn't that good. He wasn't that charismatic. I mean, the people, you know, all 100 of them would cheer for Eric Embry because what else are you going to the Sportatorium for? If you didn't like seeing Eric Embry, you stopped going a long time ago. I think they were having problems long before Eric Embry got there. They were they were having problems long before that, and that's true. But at the same time, you know, he was definitely the most obnoxious, like in front of the microphone. He was the most obnoxious behind the scenes. As you can tell, I I am not crazy about this guy. Who and uh, who did who did Al Hayes piss off? Not, he's just there. How, <laughs> how did he get obnoxious? Year. I know he just he just sits there and he be he's English. He just sits around being English. That's pretty much it. His yeah. lordship. And this was not okay. This was not an award where you only got one vote. So you got three votes. I guess I can see Hayes being in third place. I don't know. I mean, Jeff, who would you ultimately have picked? Well, you know, Jose Gonzalez is on there because he basically uh, walked. He walked on a murder charge, you know. And then Carlos Colon, uh, you know, sort of kept using him, knowing what had happened. Yeah. Uh, so you got to give them some. Uh, I don't know. Is is some love for that? Is that the right word? Uh, you know, I, I would have Gary Hart second for the reasons that you outlined. He's this manager and he's supposed to know what a manager is. He's supposed to know what a manager does. And he no sells getting popped by flair or he, you know, if anything happens, he basically if something physical happens, he would no sell it. Drove me, drove me nuts. Well, and, and you know, if, if the case is that he physically can't take bumps and that may very well have been what it was then he shouldn't be in a position where he's asked to take a bump. He should be one of those managers that you just don't touch because of his physical limitations, you know? I mean, they, they weren't taking shots at Blassie in the WWF because he was, you know, 75, 80 years old or whatever. So, you know, Gary Hart should not be getting in the ring if he's not prepared to take a bump for the babyface. The whole time I was a WWF fan when Blassie was there, so we're looking at about 12 years, I saw him take two or three minor bumps. I never saw the Grand Wizard take a single bump. So it can be done. Yeah. Uh, One guy who should be bumped up here is Cologne. Because as Jeff said, not only was Gonzalez getting pushed, he was getting pushed as a baby face. Yeah. yeah. Now I hear You know what? To me, that's almost like, Real life being, I don't know if obnoxious is the word, but it, I guess it's obnoxious in some way. John, was this the year that they did the angle with Onita? No. Kind of never played was, out? That was 90 or 91. Okay, I think it was okay. 90. Oh, yeah, that was real classy stuff, too. Oh, that, talk about just awful judgment. For those unaware, they did an angle where Jose, uh, I think Onita visited Puerto Rico and, and Jose Gonzalez stabbed him. Oh, my God. And Onita insisted on going to the hospital and having the, the stitches, you know, uh, recorded and aired on television. Supposedly the doctors were like, you don't need stitches. Get out of here. And like he insisted on getting stitches. Stay classy, did, San Diego. What did what did Vern do? Uh, you know what? I don't even know um, because I didn't watch very much AWA TV. Or is this like a Lifetime Achievement Award? <laughs> 
That very well could be. <laughs> hey, he, would speak- be, he would be in the top three if it was a lifetime award. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of which, the one thing Dusty Rhodes did that was really obnoxious, I thought, and it involved the AWA. As soon as he left, um, he, as soon as he left the NWA, he went. He made sure he attended a taping for the AWA as a means of, hey, look, everyone, I'm not with that company anymore. I. I don't even remember him doing that, so I'll be out of your better knowledge. No, I, I, as a matter of fact, we were all in Philadelphia, February of 1990, and somehow the AWA came on TV, and it was Melter who first said, ah, this is his way of doing that. Yeah. But anyway, number next, best on interviews. Number one, Terry Funk. Number two, Jim Cornette. Number three, Ric Flair. Number four, Randy Savage. And number five, Paul E. Dangerously. Jeff, give us your thoughts. Uh, I'm going to talk about the guy that is at number, was it 10 in the honorable mention category, Scotty the Body. Oh, yes. Scotty the Body. I made him a character in the book that John referenced the last episode. Uh, They call me Booker. Uh, because I thought that the Scotty the Body character could be a national act. And I really wanted WCW. They eventually, you know, I don't know who, who signed him first, WCW or WWF. I know it was Johnny Polo and, and uh, you know, was it Scotty Flamingo or whatever. And But the Scotty the Body character, you know, for those of you not aware, uh, he was the obnoxious sort of MJF character, if you will. Yes. And he would come up to the, uh, the crow's nest, as they call it, where the announcer was. And he would do color commentary. And, of course, he was very obnoxious, like MJF. But they st- they did one time where they did the camera. They did a split screen, and they had him on uh, – they cut him on camera picking his nose. So they began calling him Snotty the Body. And it was – the way he reacted was just so funny, and he became such a great character. And, wow, that was – you know, it's good. And, and I got to tell you something. When he became Raven, it was a great character. I love his promos as Raven. Uh, you know, for at least a couple of years, I wasn't a big fan of his, you know, 20 years later when he was still doing the gimmick. But um, as Scotty, the body, holy crap, man, the guy was just gold. I agree with you 100 um, percent. I remember getting Portland tapes and saying that this guy was going to be a huge star in the wrestling business. Um, I'm actually I'm actually glad he created the Raven gimmick because it was it was obvious that for whatever reason, I mean, it was, it was tried in WCW, it was tried in WWF. It just wasn't getting you know, him as as that character just wasn't getting over on a national level. I mean, maybe it had just been done too many times. I don't know. Yeah, but it was good stuff. No question. But, you know, it's sort of like, you know, the the uh, Johnny Polo and Scotty Fleming was sort of like a watered down version of Scotty the Body in Portland. Uh, oh, well, of course, that's that's what WCW and WWF. Do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look what WCW did to Steve Austin when they got him. My God. But anyway, Sean, I've got to get you talking about uh, best on interviews. Nineteen eighty nine. A quick aside on Scotty the Body. I remember I saw him after I had seen Richards because I had seen Richards live, uh, Stevie Richards. And when I saw Scotty the Body, I remember th- sitting there thinking that the early Richards was taking some stuff from that guy. So I always kind of wondered if they talked about that, uh, Raven and uh, Richards at that time, because there were some of the kind of ironic stuff that um, Scotty the Body was doing that um, Richards took over. As far as best interviews, yeah. I mean, I, okay, one thing. 
at no no list ever in any year should Rick Steiner be ahead of Jerry Lawler in this. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't understand that one at all. Who thought that was? He talked to his hand. <laughs> that was yeah. it. I mean, what? what I, and it was Jerry Lawler just, just beating out uh, uh, Lex Luger, by the way. Oh, I'll give Lex credit. He had a good year still. But I mean, yeah. a bad Jerry year is still way better than a good Lex year in this category. But I saw that. I was just, damn. Um, but I mean, the five guys in the top are all great. I mean, yeah, definitely Terry. Um, Corn- Cornette deserves like a some kind of just a, an award just for the a level of excellence he was able to sustain when all hell was breaking loose, basically. Yeah. At least for him and his team. So, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just, just as just making something out of nothing, pretty much. I agree. I mean, there are so many of these guys on this list were so good in 1989. It's hard to give it to just one guy. I would have actually, I would have had Terry Funk at number one. I would have had Flair at number two, uh, Savage at number three. Savage was doing great interviews in 1989. Uh, Paulie and Jim Cornette, I would have had it a tie. Paulie is one of the most underrated managers from this era ever he was just gold in 19 even in 1987 in the awa the guy was gold i mean he was fantastic the one who is too low here i mean once again i don't understand rick steiner at number seven like i wouldn't even consider him uh lawler had a great 1989 he was it, it felt like that heel turn kind of invigorated him i might actually have him in the top five you could have lawler doing barnyards and doing state fairs and i'm still putting them above rick steiner running main events and you know some arenas <laughs> I mean, it just 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 from general principle with Rick, at least with Rick's character was supposed to be speaking gibberish. I don't think Scott's was, but it just kind of worked that way. Oh, my. Uh, but neither one of these guys should be, you know, consideration for any kind of interview award. I second I saw that I was just I could not. I wasn't even positive how good Jerry was that year, but it doesn't matter any now, Jerry, I'll take. You know what? The the one guy I disagree with you, you, both of you on, is Lex Luger. I thought Lex Luger was great on the stick in 1989. Most years, I think he could have placed top five, but this was such a good year for that. No, well, I'm I'm agreeing with you on that. I thought this was an outstanding year for him, but normally, no. And just off of time, I'm putting Lawler ahead of just about anybody because if I have to have one promo to get a show over, I'm calling Jerry up. I mean, you know, just forever. He's one. He's like Rick or Terry. He's one of these guys who just guarantee he's going to get a good promo out of them. Not even on the list. Not even, you know, getting enough votes. Eddie Gilbert was another guy who was really good on the stick in '89. Yeah, just throwing that out there. Yeah, no, yeah, you, yeah. Eddie could talk. There's no question about it. To do with him, gee, we keep saying that about WCW. But anyway, most charismatic Hulk Hogan by a. Uh, pretty much a landslide. Uh, Akira, number two. Number three, Ultimate Warrior. Number four is Sting. Number five is Ric Flair. Jeff Browdard, what do you think? I got no problem with that top five. Just based on what the category is and what it entails, that's pretty accurate. 
Okay. Sean, what do you think? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, this is not a big Hogan year. Um, this no. is, we kind of, we, we've talked about this a while ago about like JYD, how he had the it. And then the it started to fade a little bit as we went on. Same thing with Tommy Rich. You're kind of in the beginning, middle area of where it's really starting to fade for him. But yeah, he still has the magic to, to some extent. Not like 84, not like 85. It's still there enough. Ultimate Warrior, that was his only thing. His that's only exactly thing it. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe he you put him like a little higher, but that's about it. But that was, that was the whole gimmick. Aside of that, what he couldn't talk, he couldn't wrestle, he he, he jumped on ropes. That was it. Uh, Sting, Flair, of course. Um, and yeah, I, the only guy I would have here, I would take Sting out and put Savage in. Oh man, you took the words out of my mouth once again. I was, I would not have taken Sting out, but I think Savage absolutely belongs in here somewhere. Then who do you take out? I, uh, I don't know. I mean, you're right. You know, Warrior. That's all he had was the charisma, but he had it. I mean, Sting. I might, I would probably take Ric Flair out to be honest with you. And that's not saying you know Flair wasn't charismatic. He definitely oh, was. Stop. You are not going to take leave Sting in, but take Flair out. He Sting is a lot like Warrior. It's kind of all he has. I mean, Sting was okay in the ring. He was actually good in the ring before he got hurt. Um, but Sting was loaded with charisma. Ric Flair is one of the poster children for this category. I mean, you know what? It's hard to have just. But it's not the it's not the only thing that sells Ric Flair to the audience. It's charisma. He's you know. Yeah. I, I mean, with the Ultimate Warrior, it's his charisma that got him over. Yeah. You know, and. and and to a lesser extent, Sting. Sting was, like John said, a good worker. You know, he had he had much more talent than the Ultimate Warrior did, but he relied on his charisma more than his in-ring work. Uh, you know, more than than Flair. You know, when you went to see Ric Flair, you know, yeah, you were going to see Ric Flair, the charismatic, you know, uh, a limousine riding guy, but you were also going to see Ric Flair work. You know, and and I don't think Sting. You weren't going. There weren't as many people going. Oh, I'm going to see Sting because wow, he's going to have a great match tonight. No, you're going to see him come to the ring with his music, and he's going to do the big, you know, uh, whatever his shout was or or whatever. Uh, so I think I understand what John means by that. You you guys keep getting getting ahead of me on this because yeah, if you went to NWA shows in 1989, and I I went to a few of them, especially considering that they only came around here once. I was actually traveling to them. I mean, Sting would you know Sting's music would play. He would get in the ring. He would let out that scream, and the place would go nuts. Uh, point of clarification for this category, John. I'm not uh, or Jeff. I'm not sure. Uh, but is does it have to be a babyface? No. Then I have Terry Funk. Uh, Terry Funk definitely was charismatic. Another guy who's missing is the great Muda. Yeah. But you've only got five spots. Right. We're we're making our situation worse here. (laughs) I I think what we're really doing is we're really pointing out how charismatic you had to be to get in the top five if, if Muda and Funk can't make it. All right. Best technical wrestler. I was always I've always been a little bit confused about what that actually means. Jeff, can you shed some light on this? I kind of agree with you. It's kind of a gray area, if you will. Uh, you know, I mean, the your top five is is Liger, Ric Flair, Steamboat, Takata and Maeda. You know, the technical stuff that the Japanese guys are doing, you know, even Liger. I mean, Liger and New Japan are doing different stuff than Takata and Maeda are doing in rings. 
And that's completely different than what Flair and Steamboat are doing. So you're really, it's not just apples and oranges here. It's apples and watermelons in yeah. this category, you know? Yeah. Uh, apples and Hershey bars. I mean, yeah. Jushin Liger, I mean, I loved his matches. I loved what he did. I don't know if I would consider him that to be technical wrestling. Yeah, I think when it first started out, you know, they would always, I think when the, in the early years of the Observer, Backlund always won this award because, they, you know, they, yeah, I guess if you're going to do technical wrestling, probably somebody like Scott Steiner yes. or, or, you know, Hiroshi Hasi, you know, or Rick Steiner, guys who were actually former amateur guys that would incorporate amateur moves into their matches, you know, probably should get, you know, more than Flair and, uh, and Steamboat who, you know, Rick, Rick Flair wasn't going out there doing, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of amateur moves. He was, he was being Ric Flair and, and Steamboat was going out there and, and bumping and, and selling as the, you know, the victimized baby face. That's what made Ricky Steamboat great. But that, that that's not what Takata and Maeda and, and, uh, and Liger were doing by a long shot. It was, I think it was 2000 or 2001. I went to Cincinnati for one of the Brian Pillman Memorial shows. And I saw an unbelievably good match between Steve Regal and Chris Benoit. And they did, they barely did any, high spots they didn't go off the ropes and yet it was a phenomenal match so I, I guess if i had to look at it that way like that would be great technical wrestling unfortunately it's 1989 and i can't mention either one of those guys so i guess i would go with you know ultimately i would go with someone like hiroshi hase or i don't know maybe maybe bret hart probably bret hart yeah i i would never would never problem with that all right, Sean, you got to tell us what you're thinking. Bret Hart's the guy I'm thinking of here. Um, he should be higher. But the, the problem you're running into is this category is really dated. It's like when you had the early categories for MMA and you'd have different, you know, different. But the stuff starts to overlap at this point. So you would have guys who are flyers and would do tactical stuff. So it wasn't black and white like it was when this category started, when they started doing this back in the early 80s. It's very much – so it's hard to say, as you said, who you would have there. But if you're just doing it in the old school sense, the Bob Backlund sense, uh, yeah, Hase, I would have Bret Hart higher, Scott, you know, Scott, Rick maybe too. Um, but it, it, this it, – it, they seem to pick how you know however you want to – Basically, if you have a wrestler you like, you will shoehorn it into this category somehow. Yeah, if you if you know the guy has a legit amateur background. The more yeah. I'm thinking about this, like T Takada, Maeda, and Yamazaki, Fujiwara, I mean, these guys were wrestling in a promotion that is strictly technical wrestling. No high spots, no uh, traditional pro wrestling spots. So, I mean, out of that list, it, I think it would for me, it would be either Takada or Yamazaki. Yamazaki's another guy, we talked a little bit about this last week, that I was disappointed that he left New Japan to go wrestle UW because he was so good at New Japan. Yeah, the, the matches with Yamazaki and Fujiwara versus Takata and Maeda were off the chart good. Like just everything a tag team match should be, just a Japanese version. It, it was like a Japanese version of Midnight and Rock and Roll, you know, because the four guys just knew each other so well. They worked each, you know, they made it seem like a legit athletic contest while at the same time working within, you know, like a New Japan style and uh, I remember I had uh, I think I had two of their matches uh, in my top 100 of the 80s uh, because they were just amazing. 
They were. And, you know, like I said, I wish there was that alternative universe where everyone in New Japan got along and we just got a decade out of of really good matches out of those guys. Uh, The Bruiser Brody Memorial Award for the best brawler in pro wrestling. Number one was Terry Funk. Number two was Kenichiro Tenru. Number three was Terry Gordy. Number four was Ric Flair. And number five was Stan Hansen. Jeff, who would you have voted for? Uh, You know, I mean, I. Funk, I think, is an obvious candidate here. Uh, you know, I, I saw Tenru's name, and I was sitting here thinking, do you remember, John, was it 1989 with the incident with uh, – there was a match with Tenru and Hara versus uh, – man, I can't think of who the uh, – maybe, maybe it was Tiger Mask – and Shenji Takano. Do you remember that match? Where they I, lit- we, I don't. I'm sorry. They, they literally began beating up Shenji Takano – trying to force him to fight back. And Shenji Takano, who was a, a big, like a, a Barry Windham-esque kind of body, except maybe a little bit flabbier, but like a big tall guy with all kind of athletic ability. His brother, George Takano, was the Cobra. Yep. And, and uh, they basically just started getting super, super stiff with him and uh, they ended up uh, winning. And at the end of the match, I'll never forget that Shenji Takano was crying in the ring. And uh, he, I think he ended up going, uh, I don't know if he went to war uh, the promotion war, uh, he did or, or SWS or whatever, but he like, after that match, he was never anything again. Uh, so yeah, so Tenru, uh, definitely, uh, he was, uh, he was working, uh, in a brawling super, super stiff style. Uh, but that was, that was part of what got his character and him over as a wrestler. So yeah, Takano, he was one of the first guys who signed on with SWS, which just kind of, I mean, I'm not going to say never got off the ground, but after looking like it was going to be, you know, a major third uh, Japanese promotion, just never really found its way. Uh, I mean, Sean, what do you think, uh, the Bruiser Brody Memorial Award for 1989? Funk was so good, he got Flair 21st place votes. Uh, yeah, F- uh, Funk seems to be the overwhelming choice here. It, this was a great Terry Funk year, and this this was the style that he brought to the – this what made the difference between the rivalry and the feud was this kind of like uh, – this. The mania that Terry brought to the situation. He was fantastic, you know, for the whole time he was performing. Hanton should be on all these lists. I mean, if he's if he's running any kind of a you know nearly a full time schedule. One question though, Barry Windham, did I miss something? Uh, Steve Williams and Barry Windham placing at number six and seven respectively. I have no idea how that happened. I mean, Steve Williams, I can kind of see because it was a very physical style, like, you know, you know, especially when he was with Gordy, you know, that kind of thing. But Wyndham, I mean, you know, he never was particularly a brawler to begin with, and he was slowing down here. Well, Wyndham was a brawler in the mid-80s uh, after Dusty left and he came back. He had a program with Ron Bass uh, where they uh, – Barry bled a lot more, even more than he did when Dusty was there. And uh, that was really good stuff. But you're absolutely correct. Barry Windham in 1989 was not uh, a guy that deserved honorable mention for best brawler. Yeah, that Windham Basque, that was 86, right? Yeah, around there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, as far as the best brawler goes, I mean, Sean and I, I'm glad we don't agree on everything. It would have been close for me. I actually would have gone Ric Flair ahead of Terry Funk. I think Rick is one of the best brawlers of all time. He does 
so many other things so well that that tends to get lost in the translation. To me, it's really close because Terry Funk was a phenomenal brawler in 1989, but I would have gone Ric Flair first, Terry Funk second. Um, I mean, whoever was third was going to be a distant third. I mean, Jerry Lawler was, Eddie Gilbert was, but he didn't get to show it as much in 89 as he did in 88 and 90. Um, but yeah, that that's my pick. Stan Hansen, of this, course. This in, very in much Japan looks like a, this very much looks like a category at some point where people were winning off their reputation. I mean that ha- that's going to happen in all categories. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I mean, I, I just don't see. I mean, the, when I saw Barry Windham at number seven, I was quite taken aback because, aside from the first six or seven weeks of the year, I mean, Barry just didn't have a very good 1989. Uh, Best flying wrestler. Number one is Jushin Liger by a very large margin. Uh, number two, Naoki Sano. Number three, Great Muda. Number four, Owen Hart. And number five, Brian Pillman. Uh, we got to go to you, Jeff Boundrin. Uh Yeah, this is Liger's category. This is when he uh, he debuted the Shooting Star Press, yeah. which was uh, completely blew everyone's mind when he started doing that. Um Muda, I, I can see again. His, Sano was his uh, his opponent of of choice, if you will, for the for the year. Uh, great Muda here in the United States. I'm actually surprised Muda didn't get more votes just because he was so over in WCW. Uh, it's funny that Owen is number four, but they had Owen as like one of the most overrated too, or, yeah. or you know whatever that category was that we talked about last episode. Um, kind of surprising that Pillman's in there because Pillman didn't hit uh, WCW till like uh, by. June or July of this year. Uh, of course, I mean, he was still doing Calgary, but I didn't know that his, his name was out there. And uh, I don't know, who, who would you say, you know, the, the other runner-ups are all Lucha guys. Who do you remember being a really good Lucha guy from this time period? You know, I, I was never a big Lucha guy, which, which isn't to say I never watched it, but it's going to be hard for me to tell you like okay this happened in 89 as opposed to 88 90 uh i mean i really liked atlantis i like negro casas um who's not even listed here but it, it would be hard for me to say like unlike wcw unlike wwf unlike the, the new japan all japan it's hard for me to say ah this guy had a great 1989 yeah and bobby eaton uh coming in uh the last of the honorable mentions you know and and Bobby was was taking those high flying bumps pretty much on a nightly basis. Yeah, and he did that leg drop off the top rope where he literally had to move the lights in the, in the TV yeah. studio because he was yeah, I remember that. Yeah, up in the air so high, he was something else. Uh, I mean, Sean, do you have do you have an opinion on this best flying wrestler? The yeah, the move was the Alabama Jam. Um. Yeah, this was a Liger year. This is this is clearly him and everybody else. Uh. Yeah, Muda. I thought would have been. I mean, he seemed to be the obvious competition just because he had the you know the Western exposure. Um. Uh, Pillman was a really good. At some point, you get to the you know. I think Owen's only here because you may have had some people voting who may not have known who all these guys were, because just like you can't really get around the fact that all of a sudden he's overrated and they piss on him the whole time and then oh yeah. Top five flyer though. Yeah, I maybe mean, it know, wasn't. Was it? Maybe it wasn't uh, as a, just a flyer. It wasn't a respected art form yet. Uh, in the, in the sheets, it definitely was. And this is, you know, this is okay. a sheets uh, award. And um, just to I, clarify, real quick, John, the category we talked about Owen in was not overrated because that's coming up. It was the most unimproved. Ah, 
Okay. No, you know what? I can see that. Owen definitely took a step back just because he went to the WWF. I mean, big difference between Calgary and the Fed. Oh, yeah. I mean, go ahead, Sean. Sean, Jeff. No, I was going to say that just a little bit because, you know, the Owen that uh, you were seeing in Calgary was having these, uh, you know, 40 minute matches. And and then he, you know, would go to the Federation and have to get all this stuff in in seven minutes, you know. Yeah, and just to do a job to whoever he was doing a job for, quite frankly. Yeah, it was just he was not the kind of guy that that Vince McMahon at that at that point in time was pushing. So it was really kind of sad that he went to the WWF. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know what, Owen, maybe I'm not even saying this in a negative way. I mean, Owen, he 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 did something in wrestling. He was in it for the money. And then, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. And WWF, you know, was an easy it was a tough lifestyle, but the money was there and he did it for a while and then he went home. Um, But anyway, Sean took the words right out of my mouth. It's Jushin Liger and everyone else. He was that far ahead of everyone else. Um, Muda got number three because he got the exposure. Uh, I mean, Sano, number two, I agree with. Owen as Blue Blazer in the WWF compared to the rest of the roster, he was a high flyer. It's just one of those things. It's like, okay, it's Jushin Liger, and then I got to figure out two other guys. Pretty much. Yeah. Most overrated. I'm going to have some fun with this one. Um, Number one. Ultimate Warrior had more than twice as many points as number two, who was Hulk Hogan. Number three is Dino Bravo. Number four is Dusty Rhodes. Number five is our friend Eric Embry. Uh, Jeff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you run with this one. Well, let me ask you, did you come to Nashville for Flair Steamboat, John? I did not. Okay. The night before uh, the Flair Steamboat match, the WWF had run a card. Oh, gee, imagine that. Yeah, uh, what a coincidence. And the main event was Ultimate Warrior versus Rick Rude, and I went with a bunch of guys, and I remember that as we walked out of the building after that match, everyone said, wow, that's like the best Ultimate Warrior match we've ever seen, <laughs> which either was showing that you know that Rick Rude was an incredible performer because he was making this guy look like a million bucks, or the Ultimate Warrior was starting to get better. Uh, you know, uh did he deserve? Yeah. I mean, he deserved the most overrated, but there were nights when he was working with the right guy, when all of a sudden you could see, I, I don't want to compare it to the way Luger improved, but you were sitting there and you were th- thinking to yourself, well, you know, maybe this guy has something. And so you kind of understood why Vince, you know, pushed him in. You know, he won the most charismatic. He was putting asses in the seats. He was getting, you know, great baby face response. He was a character for the kids and, you know, so, uh, but overrated obviously he was uh usually the complete drizzlings as they would say in the ring so uh maybe the night that i saw him with those other guys was some kind of anomaly now jeff you i'm glad you brought this up because yes the uh wcw had a a sunday after afternoon pay-per-view i believe it started at four o'clock and what a coincidence the wwf runs the same building in nashville the night before didn't they finish up around midnight or something crazy like that yeah, and uh, gee, I think there was a problem with then getting all their gear out. Uh, oh. Time, yeah, just stunning, stunning development, you know. And uh, so I do remember that. You're right; it was a four o'clock start because I remember uh, I was with my boy Flaherty, and we had to literally make a make the uh, the dash to the airport to catch our flight home because we literally after Flaherty Steve was over uh, or whatever the last match was. I think uh, we, we we left and uh, just had to hasty, make it a hasty one to the uh, to the airport that night. 
No, shout out to our good friend Dave Flaherty. Uh, Sean, your thoughts on the most overrated award, 89? Andre gets 151 votes. Were they expecting a, uh, a moonsault? I mean, the guy could barely walk two years earlier. I mean, I, he wasn't getting any better. So I don't know what, like, uh, did anyone think Ultimate Warrior was good? I mean, as Jeff said, it was all charisma act. So I, I don't see any of these guys having great expectations. What did Dino Bravo do? I don't remember him. I mean, wasn't he in some kind he of got a shot in the head? <laughs> he took the that ultimate. Doesn't make bump. him overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers, doll. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. Just because he got a shot doesn't make him overrated. <laughs> I well, think that was ninety-four or something. So we can't, we can't count made, that. Part of what made Dino overrated was that he did get shot uh, with uh, perhaps some injectables oh, because perhaps. he blew up like a balloon and he he couldn't work anymore. I just, but I mean, it just seems like everyone else here is like in the main event, and then Dino Bravo gets tossed in there. I, yeah, well, I mean, you're ahead of me. I mean, I to me, most overrated is when you see a guy out there getting that push, and you say, "What is going on here?" I mean, Ultimate Warrior, like him or not, was over. Hulk Hogan, like him or not, yeah, he was starting to fade a little bit, but he was over. Dino Bravo, what was going on in 1989 with them pushing him to the moon? I never understood it. The guy had, I mean, he, granted, he was, uh, you know, as as he was as blown up as could possibly be, but he he couldn't do interviews. I mean, Jimmy Hart uh, was doing them for him, but I, I didn't get that main event push that he got he out was, of I think, nowhere coming out of that dream team thing with Greg Valentine. He was kind of a, a big deal in Montreal. And so I know that's why they brought him in because they could use him on the main events in Montreal. But as far as pushing him nationally, it made no sense at all. I mean, you know, like if they're having a big card in Montreal and you want to push you know, Dino Bravo as your main event heel. Yeah, I, I get that because he's going to draw. But yeah, uh, and uh, Pacoima and uh, and Des Moines, who cares about Dino Bravo? I mean, look, Montreal is my favorite city in the world, but that's like saying, yeah, we're, we're bringing this guy in because he can draw big in San Antonio. It, you know, it makes no sense. Yeah. Although I did enjoy hearing Monsoon talk about how this new kid's doing. Guy's been a pro for like 17 years. Oh, yeah. I, I like I, I didn't get he would be my number one. We've already talked about Eric Embry. I mean, uh, I got a question. Yes. Zeus. Zeus got some votes. Now, wasn't Zeus's deal with Hogan and the movie and stuff? Wasn't that like late 88? How is this guy still making the list? I mean, did he work a couple matches in 90 and 89, too? He worked two, or, the movie came out in 89. Okay. And he worked exactly two matches. Uh, he worked the SummerSlam match, uh, and he worked that match that uh, when the pay per view, when the movie came out on pay per view at the end of '89, they oh, yeah, okay. I released thought it, was it on Christmas week so that kids would order it. And they had they added the match to it, uh, the cage match with Savage and Hogan, uh, no Savage and Zeus against Hogan and Beefcake. Yeah. Guess you spent most of the match working that match. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Why is Lawler Sharon. here? Why uh, is Lawler on this list? I do not know. You're right. I, I have no idea. I mean, it's like all these guys are like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I can see why they're mad at him. And all of a sudden, Lawler shows up. I mean, was was there some backlash or something? Did he do something dumb? I don't remember. I think 
I, you well, know, I don't know, John. Was this one of the years where Jerry did something dumb? <laughs> I don't know. I just tried to think if it was like something standing out that made everyone mad at him that I couldn't think of. Like some, you know, as Jeff said, one of his things. Here's a guess. Okay, Jerry Lawler. He he did a really good interview, but he kind in '89 he kind of did this interview over and over again. Maybe this is what put him on the most obnoxious list. I just thought of this. He would come out with three title belts. One would be the world class title on the left. One would be the uh, the AWA title on the right, and in the middle would be the title proclaiming him as the real world's heavyweight champion. And he would say, you know, I was the AWA champion. I was the world class champion. I won this match against Kerry Von Eric. Now I'm this champion. And I think he got, he may have gotten a little bit carried away with that, that one interview that he was doing at the beginning of the year. And he was still doing it at the end of the year. Maybe, maybe that's it. I still, I mean, it's one of those things where it's, it's pretty, it's reasonably even bad Lawler is better than most. Yeah, I, I think probably it's it's possible that people just got sick of him playing that card. Speculative on my part. Uh, Eric Embry, I think, should be way high. I'd have him number two. I mean, one promotion is pushing Hulk Hogan as its top guy. You're pr- pushing Eric Embry as your Hulk Hogan, your Dusty Rhodes 1986. It was preposterous. Uh, the other guys, we have Andre the Giant, Sid, Lawler, Beefcake, Zeus, look, they were all over enough. Jim Duggan was a guy that I, by 1989, the WWF either should have way cut his push down or gotten rid of him. Not only did he stink, I mean, he just didn't seem to be over as over as his push should have warranted. Well, it's kind of, you know, it was almost, uh, you know, if you're, if you're doing Hulk Hogan as the all American, and then you have Jim Duggan also on the card doing the Ohio yeah. USA. It's like you have, you know, the the A group and the B group, and so you know, obviously the guy that's the B group. You know, it, it's was his character obnoxious. Uh, it, I don't think it was him and specifically him that was obnoxious. It was the character that had become obnoxious because it was just overwrought and overdone. Yeah, you could not recognize the Hacksaw Jim Duggan, as you alluded to on our last show, could not recognize this Jim Hacksaw Jim Duggan from the one of 84, 85 in, into 86 when he went to the WWF. Uh, most underrated. Number one, we have Dan Crawford. Number two, Bret Hart. Number three, Chris Benoit. Number four, Brad Armstrong. And number five, Eddie Gilbert. Uh, Jeff, I hand the ball to you. You know, the only thing I, I didn't like about this category is that pretty much on a yearly basis, you would see a lot of the same names. You yes. Know? Brad Armstrong was in it every year. Bobby Eaton was always mentioned. Uh, Terry Taylor, uh, Eddie. And, you know, like in the uh, in the honorable mention, you see guys like uh, Shawn Michaels and Scott Steiner and Mr. Perfect. And uh, you see the first appearance. Uh, I'm believing this might have been the first time we saw him in an award uh, getting an honorable mention. Cactus Jack Manson. Cactus Jack Manson. We're going way back. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he still had all his teeth, I think. But, um, you know, uh, that's a guy that I think you could have really said is underrated. Uh, Dan Crawford, I mean, he wasn't underrated. He was getting a, a good push in all Japan. He was just underrated because he wasn't finding a spot in a, an American promotion, I guess. is probably the best way of putting that. Um, Brett had started getting a push, I believe, as a was – he, was he still working tag teams in 89 or had he started kind of sort of pushing him as a, as a single? 
in early 88, like at WrestleMania, the 88 WrestleMania, they kind of they started his turn and he was at this point he was wrestling both singles and still in the heart foundation. So he was kind of in the middle. Yeah. And Chris Benoit was just a guy that was in Calgary. And I, I don't, I'm, I don't even know if Chris Benoit had started wrestling regularly in new Japan. Now, when I went to, to uh, Japan in December of 87, Chris Benoit was one of the young guys uh, that was training in new Japan who every once in a while you would see him on a, you know, like on a spot show in an opening match. That's what they did with the new boys, but on a big show, they didn't, they never put him in a, uh, on one of those cards. But uh, so I think he was primarily working Calgary. So if that's, you know, because you're working a, a territorial promotion, if that's what makes you underrated, you know, I guess he was underrated. Yeah. I mean, he was wrestling Puerto Rico too. I mean, Sean Goodwin, tell us what you think. I, see, here's not a bad spot for Scotty the body, but he did get a good push in Portland because Portland wasn't really big at the time. He wasn't known nationally. So how does that work? Um, there are two here that are really funny. One is uh, the Red Rooster. So the Red Rooster guy votes as most underrated. Un- no, un- and, unimproved. Unimproved and underrated. Yeah, that's uh... – Good job. <laughs> I mean I, how do you manage that one? As same your, your same with Owen. Owen. Owen got yeah, votes for most exactly, and then you have Liger who gets votes for most underrated while also getting votes for wrestler of the year, technical wrestler of the year, flying wrestler of the year. Uh, pretty much every award he's in the top five, but he's somehow underrated. Well, here's how I see underrated. I see overrated as why are you pushing this guy? I see underrated as why are you not pushing this guy? Therefore, my number one, if you had asked me on January 1st, actually it would have been December 1st, 1989, my number one would have been Eddie Gilbert. How did the NWA not push him? How did they not figure out that this is a guy you can do a lot with? Well, you know, I, I sit there and, and the guys that I'm looking at, like you said, it was guys that were, I think the guys that got a lot of votes in this were guys that were great workers, but maybe they weren't main event guys. So, you know, uh, but by the same token, the guys that, you know, like Shawn Michaels got votes here. Okay. Shawn Michaels was a good worker there, but Shawn Michaels wasn't ready to be on the main event of a WWF card. Whereas Kurt Hennig is Mr. Perfect. You could have easily put him in a main event of a WWF ring, and he still would have been great. So I understand the votes for Mr. Perfect in this category way more than I do for, you know, Brad Brad Armstrong was a great wrestler, and he was a great worker, but Brad Armstrong, you couldn't put at the head of a national company and make him the face of your company, you know? No, I'm glad you understand that because you're right. I mean, Brad was a great worker. Supposedly, he was a lot more charismatic away from the mic than he was in front of the mic. Um, But at the same time, you know, there was maybe the WWF or more specifically, the NWA should have done more with Brad Armstrong, maybe put him in a tag team. Uh, But at the same time, you're right. He just wasn't a guy that you could push nationally as a top guy unless it's in a tag team. I'm sorry. Let me me put it to you a different way. Uh uh, You know, based on my uh, my book that John uh, said that he was reading. Yes. uh, There were other uses for Brad that could have been done that maybe the promotion didn't see where I think Brad could have been amazing. But uh, in, in the role of the sort of the aw shucks baby face. Brad, Brad Armstrong was never going to go to the top of the card. Uh, you know, if you put him in a, in a high profile and, and when John says a tag team, I don't think, I don't think 
Brad and Tim Horner were ever going to be that top. You know, if you put Brad with somebody else as a tag team partner, you know, you could you got the whole uh, what I call the Ventura Adonis uh, uh, gimmick where you got the one guy that's the talker and the one guy that's the worker. You know, you, Brad could be the worker of a team if you put him with somebody who's got a lot of charisma, who can talk and just let Brad go in and, and be the, uh, you know, the, the guy that works his ass off in the ring. That could have worked. Probably Eddie Gilbert. Yeah, maybe that would have been a good idea because Eddie could sure talk. Yeah. Why Why is Ricky Steamboat getting votes here? Uh, he was the NWA champion. I think, and this is me speculating, if you let Ricky Steamboat walk the way they did in 1989, well, maybe underrating him. Oh, it's a sympathy vote? Uh, no, just, you know, you're not giving this guy enough credit. Yeah, I guess, but he was still the NWA champion. He was the main event of three major cards. Yeah, I, I, Sean's I, got a point, I think. I mean, that's true. I would not have put Ricky Steamboat on the most underrated list. I mean, Eddie Gilbert would have been my number one. Uh, go back and look at UWF Wrestling in 1986. This is how you use that guy, and this is how you make money. And at the end, though... The fans were right. Like, that's who I would have voted for at the end of 1989. Bret Hart was the pick, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I probably would have gone uh, Bret, uh, Mr. Perfect, and either Scotty or Cactus. Just because they were, you know, hadn't reached a national audience yet. Actually, I saw Cactus when he was in Memphis in 1988, and he was a guy I looked at and said, wow, he could be something someday, and he certainly was. Uh, yeah, um, you know, and, and Bret Hart was always great in the ring. Um, he should have gotten more. Terry Taylor as the Red Rooster was such a waste. I thought Taylor was such a talented guy. Uh, you know, like that, I mean, overrated, underrated, it depends on how you mean it. But these are guys, my top pick, Eddie Gilbert was a guy that they just didn't do enough with. Yep, I can I can um, see where you're going with that. All right. Yeah, and it's more frustrating because it looked like they were going to. Uh, you know what? At one point they were going, they were definitely going to turn Eddie Gilbert uh, right. They were going to turn him at the 1989 bash and they they. Pulled the plug on the turn for the worst reason imaginable. Oh, everyone knows it's coming. Uh, that's 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 that. Yeah, that's some smart business right there. Uh, it's 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 not good booking. It means that you've built the turn the way you're supposed to build a turn, not out of nowhere. Sure, that shocks the audience, but it also makes no sense. Uh, all right, best promotion as we wind down here. Uh, number one, the Universal Wrestling Federation, which uh, a shoot style promotion with Akira Maeda as their top guy, finished number one. Number two is All Japan Pro Wrestling. Number three is New Japan Pro Wrestling. Number four is the NWA, and number five is the WWF. Only Don Owens Promotions in Portland got an honorable, honorable mention at number six. Uh, Jeff, what do you think? I think it's embarrassing that the NWA got uh, voted number four because the NWA, for all the great matches they had with Flair and Steamboat and Flair and Funk, the promotion was a complete and utter clusterfuck that year. Yeah, it was. I mean, they had some great television. They had some great they had great highlights and they had some real lowlights that year. Uh, I think I voted them number one. 
because I just loved the NWA so much that year, and I was willing to. I mean, you know what? The the NWA's really bad stuff was no worse than the WWF's really bad stuff. No, that's fair. But just behind the scenes, there was so much chaos in that promotion. Yes. Uh, and, and it wasn't all Jim Hurd. I mean, he was a large part of it. But there was other stuff that was, you know, there was uh, poli- political games being played that I don't even know if the WWF had the political games going on that the, that the NWA had that year. Oh, no, they they definitely didn't, because at the end of the day, Vince McMahon has final say in in every WWF matter, whereas the NWA, well, Hurd's kind of in charge, but you can get around him sometimes. And we we just got done talking about Eddie Gilbert, how I thought he was the most underrated. I mean, supposedly he just fell out of favor with the wrong clicks. Yeah, and it was a shame because uh, he was a really talented guy. Uh, UWF. uh, the Japanese UWF for the record yes. uh, was uh, again, a, a promotion that put on, I think we talked about it last episode, maybe three or four shows a year. And, but they were just such mon- it, it was like the UFC at the very beginning, the, the spectacle uh, you know, they, they made every, every show was like going to a, a, a Mike Tyson fight when he was in his prime or a Conor McGregor fight when he was in his prime. It was that kind of spectacle. Didn't they sell out? Uh, I'm not sure if it was the Tokyo Dome or one of the domes in Japan. Uh, they they very well might have. I mean, they were smoking hot as a promotion. Okay. Uh, Sean, give us your thoughts. This is the w- first of a couple WWF Screw You Awards. Uh, they, are fi- they are fifth. Dawn Owen is uh, at 183. Uh, who's you know basically being kept alive with you know actually they had a good year I shouldn't pick on them too much here because with Scotty the body and uh, Len De- you know Len had a good year here but uh, this is basically just the backlash uh, I think NWA is getting punished just because they're an American company they're near the WWF I mean there's just this is another one of those votes where they're just it's basically just we're going to put anybody we can find above the WWF just because we hate them that much right now. Sure. I mean, that was the observer culture. This was a newsletter where people, you know, they bought and sold and traded for the Japan tapes. And really, if you want to be part of that whole thing, if you want to be part of that conversation, when someone says, you know, hey, did you see that match from New Japan? You know, you better have watched it. I mean, Jeff, I think you want you understand that. I mean, you were part of the whole thing. Well, you know, it's it's interesting as I'm looking at the the voting totals. You had almost eh, about forty five hundred votes for three Japanese promotions before you would get to an American promotion. Yeah, which either shows you how great the Japanese promotions were that year or how bad the American promotions were. That's a good point. And you know what? You you have to. If you want best promotion, I mean, are, are we talking like, you know, the, the promotion that did the best job uh, in terms of dollars? It's definitely the UWF. Uh, but then you have the WWF number two. If it's, you know, just who did you like better? I mean, hey, you can take either All Japan, New Japan, or the NWA, I think. I agree. <laughs> okay. 
And I can't even think like we have those six. I can't even think of a promotion that I would wedge in there at number seven. Like uh, USWA was entertaining at times. Uh, they were also very low rent and obviously falling apart. They did the interesting thing where Jerry Lawler was a babyface at least for a little while in Memphis, but always a heel in Dallas. And then of course he turned heel again in Memphis. But yeah, they they provided uh, both. Dallas and Memphis combined some entertaining moments, even though I would never tell you it was really good. The final category that we will discuss on this episode of Stick to Wrestling is Best Television Show. Uh, Number one, The Observer, was All Japan Pro Wrestling. Number two was NWA World Championship Wrestling. Number three was New Japan Pro Wrestling. Number four was Portland Wrestling. And number five, 77 Poor Souls thought that the WWF Superstars show was the best pro wrestling show out there. Uh, Jeff, tell us what you think of this category uh that's pretty fair you know portland at number four was having a really good year as you said with lynn denton as the booker and scotty the body stuff was really entertaining uh and then the uh the two japanese promotions at one and three uh i was still tuning in at uh for wcw then even though they were you know as i said before having all kind of behind the uh, scenes problems but you know there was still enough stuff to keep you entertained with flair and and with steamboat and funk and and some of the other guys and and John's all-time favorite team, the Dynamic Dudes. Uh, <laughs> and the Ding Dongs. Don't forget the Ding Dongs. I can never forget the Ding Dongs. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I think that's the, the top four that is pretty accurate. All right. Sean, what do you think? Uh, uh, okay. Superstars is five, but it got the third most first place votes. Uh, yeah, a lot of people voting at second and third, apparently. Yeah. it's That seems like a shockingly high um, amount of votes. And again, this is more the um, the World Championship Wrestling Show was too good. But again, you're seeing the Japanese shows come up on top. It seems like an American protest because of and it, the product wasn't getting any better anytime soon. But this is the same. This is the start of the attitude that you're going to see create uh, Smoky Mountain and create ECW. Oh yeah, yeah. I, another I another thing that. That, that I can't help notice uh, just for for those that weren't you know following it back then, you don't see UWF on there because they didn't have a regular TV show. Correct. They there was all word of mouth. And, you know, uh, in Tokyo, pushing the product, which, again, it makes the, the success of their promotion even more incredible that they they weren't having a weekly show pushing the product and getting you to buy it. You know, it just makes it amazing. I don't think they had a show at all in 1989. I think they had the shows uh, at the buildings and then they would sell the videotape. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, they, there was no like weekly TV show pushing. Oh, hey, coming up next Saturday night, you know, at the Tokyo. Oh, right. No, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, if I had a vote, and I did have a vote, um, at the end of the day, despite all of their behind the scenes problems, beside you know, never mind the politics, which you know, at the time I was talking to people at least once a week and finding out you know what was going on in WCW and and this week you know whatever was nonsense was going on that week. At the end of the day, between six oh five and eight oh five on Saturday, you were pretty entertained by that show. Um, a lot of improvements, a lot of new wrestlers. It had a fresh look when they switched uh, away from the TBS studio. I definitely felt it was NWA World Championship Wrestling. At this time, I liked New Japan more than I liked All Japan. That would change soon. Uh, Portland, you know, I mean, it was fun, minor league wrestling. Um, 
yeah, that's you know that's not a put down. That's just what it was. You know, the WWF was the WWF. Either either you liked it or you didn't. The NWA Power Hour was really good in 1989 too. It was uh, they showed a lot of good matches, a lot of good main events. You know, I was just uh, I was looking. I, I was kind of jumbling it together with the NWA main event, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, they they would show like arena matches and stuff like that, but. Uh, yeah, I didn't even mention All Japan, which which got the first vote. That's you know they had such a strong year with the Tenru and Saruta split, and that became the focal point of the promotion. And then that's where you also finally started seeing the rise of young guys. Masawa became much of a a much bigger part of the promotion. Kawada uh, was becoming a bigger part of the promotion. So you were seeing some of the younger guys finally start to break what had been a glass ceiling there uh, in uh, in Japan as far as the Japanese guys go. I, you know what? That's actually a really good point. I didn't think of that. Uh, Sean, your thoughts on best television show, wrestling television show, nineteen eighty nine? The the show I I'm familiar with out of this bunch is the NWA show, and that was by far the best show. Uh, what what was it? I didn't even remember that primetime was still on. Uh, oh yeah, primetime was great back in like two or three years earlier. What had happened here that made primetime so bad? I don't even recall it. I personally was not a huge fan of primetime wrestling. And uh, number one, it was kind of a wraparound show. You know, it, it was all stuff that I had already seen. Number two, I was never a big fan of Gorilla Monsoon in that role. Yeah, Heenan was funny, but I thought it was all basically kind of hokey. Yeah, but, like with but Monsoon they... lecturing Bobby Heenan all night. I wasn't crazy about it. <laughs> But the, when this first started, they weren't. They only had the one show, which was the um, oh, what was this stupid All American show. So and that was all garbage. So at least these guys were showing arena shows. So this was much better than what the normal stuff you would see. You never see Hogan on TV. Every once in a while, you see him on this. Oh. So I. I don't know about that. I mean, I know they would show arena matches, but then again, by this point, they had stopped taping in L.A., yeah. Philly, and Boston. That's so what I'm asking, get, right. Yeah, they, you would get Madison Square Garden matches, but you would not get Hulk Hogan matches. Like, they would show you right. the S.D. Jones versus uh, Danny Davis match or whatever. Right, but in the early days of primetime, they did. So I yes, think that's okay. That explains to me why this show is this show isn't as good anymore because they're probably just showing the same rehash as you just said. Okay. All right. So, yeah, I will leave you guys with this. Do you remember I, this this TV show did not get any votes and rightfully so. Do you remember the spin-off from Primetime Wrestling they did in 89, the Bobby Heenan show? I do not. <laughs> you don't remember it. Oh my god. Oh. Everyone in the Observer hated it, except like me and one other guy. It was it was so bad. It was like it was uh, TNT with Bobby Heenan. Yeah, it's sort of. I'm, it was like uh, I'm trying to think of that show that was on Channel 38, the uh, the Uncle Larry show. It was like that level bad. You couldn't help it but laugh at it. But anyway, the <laughs> we're over an hour, and that's okay. Uh, I want to thank Jeff Bowdrin for once again being our guest. Jeff, we're, we're going to do part three of this. But we wanted to see how it would go and how it would hash itself out. Still plenty to talk about. And next week, we will be doing match of the year first. And then we've got a lot to talk about here because 89 was a great year for in-ring action. Yeah, I think uh, when I did my top 100 of the uh, 80s, I think 89 was very well represented. As I'm looking down the uh, the list that uh, that Dave had in his like top 10 or 15, there's a lot. Jeez, I, I want to say there's like six or seven matches I had in my top 100. Yeah, and you were in Baltimore for the 89 Great American Bash, right? 
Yes. Okay, yeah, and so was I, so we can talk about that. Uh, so, Jeff, thank you for being on. You were a great guest as always. I like to think so. Thank you very much. <laughs> I would encourage your listeners, if they have not done yet, uh, to listen to us on Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, available at uh, com. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff. And I really am in the middle of reading that book, Bowdrin the Booker. I strongly recommend it. Or they call me Booker. They call me Booker. Crowbarpress.com, my good friend Scott Teal. I do recommend. And I want to thank Sean Goodwin for being the convivial co-host that he always is. Thanks to his contributions to this show. Lou Kippelman, our producer, who is going to have a, a hard time on his hands stitching this one together. The opening of the show, I think, was my favorite highlight ever of doing this show. Um yeah, I want to wish everyone a, a slightly belated happy 2020 and go Vols beat Indiana on Thursday night. This has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. <laughs>